I'm Chris. I'm Neil. And I'm Stargate Pioneer, and we're the hosts of the Starling Tribune Podcast. A podcast member of the Gunna Geek Network. Just like the show you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other podcasts at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. And get ready. Because geekiness begins in... Three, two, one... Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Magic with Zuby. Today we are going to be talking about Popper and also the Magic Story. I'm going to give a little review on the latest Magic Story lines that have recently come out, Impact and Trust. But before we begin, let's get a little bit of ads out of the way. Uh, this episode is featured on LegitMTG.com. LegitMTG.com not only has some really well-written articles, but also offers free shipping on all orders over $2 or more. Ever get tired of going to other sites and just have to buy some cheap singles and shipping costs more than what you're buying? No more. Any order over $2 or more has free shipping at LegitMTG.com. The Magic Wazubi podcast can be found on the following iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, MTGcast.com, PodcastRadioNetwork.net every Tuesday at 9 o'clock Eastern. And if you wish to email Magic Wazubi, you can email me at MTGZubi at gmail.com. Uh, Magic Wazubi is also on Facebook and Twitter at Magic Wazubi and Facebook.com slash Magic Wazubi. Uh, Magic Wazubi is also on YouTube, so you can like and subscribe to that. And please leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn Radio. That helps out the cast, definitely. We also have a Patreon if you're interested in that. Uh, you can look up the rewards for it, Patreon.com slash Magic Wazubi. Uh, this cast will always be free forever, so don't ever think that I'm ever going to charge for hidden episodes or anything like that so no none of that will ever happen so before we get into our main topic i got our first listener mail for magic with zuby here it was sent by one of our listeners mike burden i think yeah i think that's how you say the last name uh really sorry mike if i'm butchering your last name here but he sent me it looks like a card i'm not sure what exactly um I'm, i figured let me open it up here live aka recorded on air here and see what we got here well, i'm just gonna open it up here and oh did i rip up the oh what oh, it's like tied to a piece of paper or something okay here i think i got it here makes for some riveting entertainment i know um okay so there's a little note attached to it i don't want to rip up the note too much oh no i rip thanks for the podcast zuby thanks for the podcast heard you mention uh one of these and i had a few oh i think that's it uh zuby thanks for the podcast i heard you mention one of these and i had a few okay cool and it looks like from what i can tell ooh. So Mike definitely listened to probably my cube episode, I think, because um, what I am staring at right now, and I know I've mentioned this before, it's my all-time favorite dragon card, especially from Dragons of Tarkir. It is the, I think this is the game day promo Thunderbreak Regent, and it is the full art. You can see Thunderbreak Regent, um, like flying over, looks like a little monastery, and lightning crackling in the skies and it almost looks like the lightning's going through him or he's being a conduit for the lightning and he just like 
hitting the lightning at this monasterium. Wow. Uh, thanks a lot, Mike. That is really awesome. Um, yeah, this is definitely going in my cube, replacing the, the standard boring Thunderbreak Regent. All right, that's awesome. All right, thank you again. So if, yeah, that's really awesome. Our first listener mail for Magic Wazoobie. Um, if anyone else is ever interested in sending anything, I mean, you don't have to. I mean, that was completely out of the blue. That's really awesome. So if you're ever interested in sending any listener mail, um, get a hold of me at mtgzubi at gmail.com or um, send me a message on Twitter or Facebook and I'll give you an address. I don't want to give an address right out right now. I mean, if this ever became a thing, I'll get a P.O. box, but I don't expect it to be. But thank you again, Mike, and that Thunderbreak region is definitely awesome. So thank you. And now it's time for Bob Plays Magic. Okay, move to combat. Glistener Elf moves to attack. <sighs> Block with Thraven Inspector. Okay, damage goes through, and now Thraven Inspector is poisoned and has a negative one, negative one counter on it. Poison? Is he sick now? How do I make him feel better? No, no, he, he isn't sick. Infect deals damage to creatures with negative one, negative one counters instead of regular combat damage. Mm, okay. So do I use a healing potion to get him back to full health? <sighs> no. It's just a negative one, negative one counter. But you see, in another card game I play, the poison can be healed with a potion. Why can't I use a potion? We're not playing Pokemon here, Bob. I don't listen to hip-hop. Seriously, how long have you been playing this game? Listen, listen. I helped design this game. I worked with the Grand Wizard himself. <sighs> the Grand Wizard? What are you talking about? <laughs> you don't know who the Grand Wizard is? He created this game. I helped him work on it. The card Animate Wall? Yeah, that was my idea. Ugh, why do I even come here You see, anymore? it was back in 1992 when the Grand Wizard and I were in Venezuela. Having and that has been Bob playing magic. So I've been playing a little bit of Popper on Magic the Gathering Online. I know, I know. Um, I know I've talked about Magic Online a lot and how terrible it is. I mean, it, it's still not a great program. But I have been itching to play Popper. And they're just, especially on the other free programs like Cockatrice or X-Mage, you just really can't get in some good games of Popper. And when you do, it's usually never that great. Anyways, so I have built a couple decks here that I just want to go over and what they do. Um, I think these aren't some of the, I guess, really popular or meta decks of Popper. I don't know. I'm still learning the whole meta of Popper and, you know, what entails, what, what it all entails and all that. It's I haven't been playing it as much, but I'll try to get a few games in a week, you know, all that. And I'm not doing any leagues right now because the two decks I've been playing the most, I don't know them well enough and I'm still trying to see where they can be improved. And these two decks were actually, I found online on kitchen table magic forums by two of the members there. And, uh, one of them is a Demir improvised deck. I did clean it up. I did clean up his list a little bit, his original list, he gave out and sort of tightened it up a little bit. So the improvised, if you're not aware, uh, it's sort of surround or it is. So popper, you know, is a common only format. So improvised the whole, I guess, theme of the deck. 
uh, one of the best improvised creatures out there for Popper is the Bastion Inventor for five colorless and a blue. It's a 4-4, has improvise. And in case you forgot, improvise means your artifacts can help cast this spell. Each artifact you tap after you're done activating mana abilities pays for one colorless. And the best thing about the Bastion Inventor is it's hexproof. So it is a 4-4 hexproof. Meaning that there are not a lot of good spells. There's really not a lot of good board wipes in uh, Popper right now that can really take care of this. So a lot of them are, are just um, target spells like Lightning Bolt or I would say Path to Exile. But no, that's not that's not a Popper. But y you get the idea. And just to go over the deck a little bit, uh, it has 23 lands, which I'm still on the fence about. I'm. I want to try maybe 22 because while the mana curve does get high for the two big creatures, Bastion Inventor and Gear Seeker Serpent, which is go over Gear Seeker Serpent is the five colorless and two blue serpent. Uh, Gear Seeker Serpent costs one less to cast for each artifact you control. So basically it has affinity for artifacts. And if you pay five colorless and a blue, Gear Seeker Serpent can't be blocked this turn and it is a five, six. So while those two cards are pretty expensive, most of the time you're not going to be casting them for their full casting cost. So like I said, I'm thinking I'm going to try to go 22 lands, but 23 right now with four dismal backwater and an even amount of islands and swamps. All right, so the artifacts that we have here are Inventor's Goggles, which surprising to me is a lot better than expected. Uh, inventor's goggles is a one colorless artifact equipment equipped creature gets plus one plus two whenever an artificer enters the battlefield under your control you may attach inventor's goggles to it and it costs two to equip so knowing that all our creatures besides the gear seeker serpent are going to be artificers so that makes it really good for when you do cast bash an inventor you can equip the inventor's goggles right away if you do have them out on the field and he becomes a 5-6 for sometimes, you know, only using one of your lands if you're lucky. Uh, the other artifacts we have, uh, the other artifacts we have are mainly for drawing cards and for helping the improvise mechanic. Uh, next is Metal Spinner's Puzzle Knot, which when it enters the battlefield, you draw a card and lose one life. And then you can sack the artifact for two and a black and you may draw a card and you lose a life. And the other artifact is Implement of Examination, which is you can pay one blue to sack it and draw a card. And when Implement of Examination is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, you draw a card. So essentially, you're paying three and a blue to draw two cards, which it's that's not bad. It, it sort of goes two ways with that card. One, it'll help you with your improvise and... When you don't need to improvise, you can draw two cards off of it, which makes it awesome. Uh, the other non-creature spells we have are Rush of Vitality. One in a black instant target creature gets plus one, plus O, oh, gains lifelink and indestructible until end of turn. Uh, we have Live Fast for some drawing cards and some energy. You draw two cards, lose two life, and get two energy. Costs two in a black sorcery. Uh, and for some spot removal, we've got good old Doomblade, one in a black instant, destroy target non-black creature, which that hits a lot of stuff. But if you're up against a black deck, like a black zombie or whatever it may be, 
uh, we can go into our sideboard to get rid of the doom blades that are kind of dead on dead on arrival. Uh, the other creatures we have to finish up the 60 card deck, we've got Aether Swooper, which is one in a blue Vidalcan Artificer flying. And when it enters the battlefield, you get two energy. And whenever it attacks, you may pay two energy if you do create a 1-1 one, one colorless servo artifact creature token. The An Aether Poisoner, which does essentially the same thing, but it's not flying. It's a 1-1 one, one death touch. You do get two energy, and when it attacks, you can pay two to create a 1-1 one, one servo artifact token. So as you can see the little theme there, if you get the art Aether Supers or Aether Poisoners out pretty quick, and as long as they're they don't die you know you pay the two energy to get a servo token and that servo token essentially acts as for the improvise or the gear secret serpent so you can cast those out pretty quickly um i've had a lot of good luck with this deck um obviously it doesn't do that well against aggro and you know you do have some backup even if your opening hand isn't the greatest you know you do have the artifact the implement and the metal spinners puzzle knot to help you draw some cards and to live fast. Uh, most of the time when I get Bash and Inventor out, um, I can usually win the game. And, I mean, if I'm up against a pure flying deck and they just go over my head, yeah, of course, I'm not going to do that great. But for the most part, I've had really good luck whenever I get Bash and Inventor out and they just can't stop them. And if they do happen to have big creatures too... You know, I can stop them, you know, either use that as a blocker, you know, sort of wait it out and sort of act like that. So the, the sideboard I have right now um, really changes the deck into more of a control aspect. I've got four Gitaxian Probe, which I'm not the happiest about. That was just sort of a sort of a I don't really have much else or I don't know what else to put in the deck type deal. Gitaxian Probe is you can pay a blue or two life and look at target player's hand and draw a card. Uh, I have dispel for countering instance, negate for countering non-creature spells, metallic rebuke, metallic re re yeah, rebuke, I think that's how you say it, I don't know. Two and a blue for an instant, it does have improvise, counter target spell unless it's controller pays three, which acts as a mana leak, um, ru another rush of vitality, and two terror, which destroy target non-artifact, non-black creature, it can't be regenerated. So that is the Demir Improvised deck in a nutshell. Uh, I'll definitely be sure to put in the show notes the deck list for these, for these decks that I'm talking about. Um, like I said, really fun deck. Um, I have not taken it in a league yet. I don't feel comfortable with it yet. Uh, like I said, there could still be room for improvement, and I just need to take the time and check out to see what else I may be able to put in the deck and go from there. All right, so this next deck I'm going to talk about here, it was taken by Laz, who I'm sure you've heard about by now if you've listened to the episodes. And this is his Crushing Reunion Rakdos deck uh, for Popper. It is a ton of fun. The One of the downsides right away to this deck is if you do not have a good opening hand, you're most likely going to have a bad time. So as the name states, Crushing Reunion, one of the big aspects of this deck is Ulamog's Crusher, which has been a popper all-star for a while now. Ulamog's Crusher costs eight 
colorless mana. It is a Eldrazi with Annihilator 2, meaning whenever it attacks, defending player sacks two permanents, and Ulamog's Crusher attacks each turn if able. It is an 8-8. Uh, the only other creature in this deck is Gurmog's Angler, which is six and a black zombie fish. It does have delve, meaning you can exile guards from your graveyard to help cast this spell for one colorless. It is a five five. Uh, so essentially, if from what you can sort of guess just by looking at the list here, is we're going to be throwing away a lot of cards. Oh, you know what? I lied. There is one more creature here, Insolent Neonate, which is a one and a red. No, just one red vampire with menace discard a card sack insolent neonate draw a card so like i was mentioning before you're going to be throwing away a lot of cards in this deck and you do that with the following kind of cards you do that with faithless looting for one red draw two cards then discard two cards and it has flashback for two and a red uh cathartic reunion which has been probably one of the better kaladesh cards that have come out in recently that I, I don't know it's been one of my favorites I, I think I mentioned that in one of my earlier episodes uh, sometime last year god I can't believe it's just in a couple months it's going to be a year since Kaladesh came out um I, I know it's not going to be till October but yeah that's already right around the corner and when you think about it uh so cathartic reunions one in a red as an additional cost to cast cathartic reunion discard two cards and you draw three cards for for two two mana that's that's crazy and um what's this one oh raven's crime one black target player discards the cards and you can retrace you may cast this card from your graveyard by discarding a land card in addition to paying its other costs so most of the time with raven's crime you're going to want to be discarding one of your own cards um so those are all the discard effects uh some of the other cards in here the non-creature spells are going to be duress where target opponent reveals his or her hand you choose a non-creature non-land card from it that player discards the card uh we have lightning bolt which is lightning bolt deals three damage to target creature or player and we've got terminate which is a black and a red destroy target creature it can't be regenerated and then we've got teamer battle rage giving a target creature double strike until end of turn and it also has ferocious where it gives the creature trample if it has if it's power four or greater which well, it's always going to have four or greater because you're not going to want to cast team or battle rage on insolent neonate. That'd be useless. And one of the stars of the deck are the is the exhume card, which is one in a black sorcery. Each player puts a creature card from his or her graveyard onto the battlefield. It is definitely a good feeling when you're able to cast an Ulamog's Crusher on turn two, and then your opponent just sort is just sort of like, well, can't do much. I mean, unless they have a Terminate or a Doomblade or just something to be able to kill it. It's just sort of like, well, we're done. So, and also, oh, I forgot also one of the other cards in here, Essence Harvest, which I'm still not 100% on. It is a good card when you have a Gurmog Angler or Ulamog's Crusher out, but it's not the greatest card. It almost feels like, well, I don't know. I'm still not crazy about it. It's where two target player loses X life and you gain X life, where X is the greatest power among creatures you control. So it can either gain you five or eight life, which that's not bad. It's definitely not bad. It's just still sort of, meh, you know, not the greatest. Um, as I mentioned before, one of the weaknesses with this deck is you're, if you have a bad opening hand, 
it's very hard to win. Yes, you do have the faithless looting and cathartic reunions to help with the card draw, but it's still, I, I still feel like, do not be afraid to mulligan down to seven or to six, five, or even four. I have won a game one time where I had to mulligan down to four just to get something. You know, either to have a Gurmog Angler in hand or an Ulamog's Crusher and just discard into the graveyard and, you know, get it out by turn three or four. Um, the lands, I have 19 lands in the deck. And the sideboard is still a work in progress, as usual. Uh, the sideboard contains two Evolving Wilds, a Teamer Battle Rage, a Flame Slash, which does four damage to target creature for one red sorcery. Crush, which destroys target non-creature artifact for your affinity decks. Grasp of Darkness, target creature gets negative four, negative four until end of turn. Distress, which is similar to Duress, target player reveals his or her hand and you choose a non-land card from it, meaning you can pretty much like a Thought Seize, where you can discard anything. And then a Nausea, for all creatures get negative one, negative one until end of turn for those aggro token decks, maybe, or aggro goblin decks. And then two more Raven's Crime to be able to discard some cards. So overall, it's a really fun deck. I haven't taken in any leagues yet. I haven't done any popper leagues yet. Because um, the these two decks that I've really been working on, it's just I'm still trying to figure out how to maybe fine-tune them, how to play them better, and all that. They've been really enjoyable. Like I said before, I will be sure to put these in the show notes so you all can take a look at them and... If you are interested in maybe giving some improvements to them, definitely let me know. I'm I'm always open for criticism on these decks. Like I said, I didn't even come up with them, but it's I've definitely been enjoying playing them. And yeah, so there you go. Those are the two popper decks I wanted to talk about here. Uh, just give a little bit of love to the popper format, which it always needs, because not enough people play popper, which is understandable. But if you're definitely looking for something really cheap to play on Magic the Gathering Online, Popper is right up your alley. Uh, both these decks cost me maybe um, maybe seven, uh, I know less than ten tickets They cost, both of them cost me. So, I mean, yeah, like I said, they're right up your alley if you're interested in wanting to, you know, play a little bit of Popper. <laughs> Hello, my name is Jace Bellerin, and this is Inside the Planeswalkers Studio. Today we have with us Tybalt. Welcome, Tybalt. Ah, yes. Glad to be on, Jace. Let's start it off. What is your favorite color? Well, I've always been partial to red, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> No, you're lying. Your favorite color is actually purple. <laughs> Alright, so to end off with, I'm going to be giving some reviews on the magic stories that are coming out, especially for Amonkhet, which is coming out in... Jeez, the pre-release is, what, next weekend? No, 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 not next weekend, in two two weeks. Um, yeah, because I know how to read a calendar. Uh, so, I decided that I really want to start diving a little bit more into the lore of Magic the Gathering and start reading some of these magic stories that have been coming out um, 
And I do plan in the future to go back and read a lot of the older Magic, Magic the Gathering books and give reviews on these. But for now, I'm going to just be doing uh, some reviews on the storylines that have come out. And I'm going to be reviewing the first two that have come out already, Impact and Trust. And so I'll go over the brief gist of what's happening. Uh, let me start with Impact first. Uh, Impact starts off with the Gatewatch leaving Kaladesh and showing up on Amonkhet. They're like in the middle of the desert. They're trying to find Nicol Bolas and put a stop to whatever scheme he has. They're wanting to try to race ahead of Tezzeret and you know stop Tezzeret before he gets to Nicol Bolas. Uh, they land. Um, like I said, they're in the middle of the desert. They don't see anything. Chandra makes a glass dome out of the sand by just of what casting a fireball on the sand for whatever reason and um they do see giant nicobolus horns in the distance that are like huge giant humongous tremendous and when they decide to go check them out they're all of a sudden attacked by a horde of zombies and the zombies they're just like coming out of the sand you know like it it seems like they're just we're buried in the sand and they're just coming out and starting to attack them. Uh, the whole gate watch is fighting them. Um, Liliana controls some of them. You know, Jace decides to go off and be invisible and hide and try to decide what's going on. Um, you know, Gideon and Nissa are fighting them. Then some giant sandworms appear and uh, one of the sandworms looks like it eats Liliana. And um, then, you know, Chandra blows up some of the sandworms like I said, it's just it's just a giant fight between uh the gate watch fighting zombies and sandworms and near the end of the story it looks like one of the Amonkhet gods appears um i think it's oketra appears and it um what happens yeah so it looks like yeah the god appears and kills the worm that was about to eat or kill Liliana again because I think she burst out and then the worm came back to life after they killed the worm it just it's like what what is dead may never die here and so they the zombies run away or you know from the presence of the god and they see a it ends with them seeing a city surrounded by a barrier and the gate watch decides to descend into the city uh, one of the things right away that you can notice with this story, this first story, is it's written in the first-person point of view, which I've never been a fan of first-person point of view in any kind of story or book that I read. Um, I mean, I guess it all depends on the author if they do a, you know, a decent job at writing it. Um, but also, one of the things I did not really like at all was the author... Um, the author's name is Michael Yachow, I guess that's how you say it. I'm probably butchering it. I butcher all types of names. But um, one of the things I noticed right away is he's writing it from the point of view of each Gatewatch member. And that's not that that's a bad thing. But what's really, really off-putting is the style of writing completely changes from each Gatewatch member, which I can understand because they're wanting to showcase their personality through each of the Gatewatch members. But it's some of it is just so for, for an example here, the first section is Jace. 
uh, it's in from the point of view of Jace and how he's perceiving and everything. And then it go switches over to Chandra and it's written like a teenager's diary. Like you're reading a teenager's live journal account. And it's just, it, it's a very weird shift in tone and also a really weird shift in writing to where it's sort of, takes you out of the story for a second and just make you realize, okay, what the heck is happening and why did it all of a sudden go from, just for an example, we'll say the J section is sort of like a 10th grade level of reading and then it goes from Chandra, which is like a second grade, second graders level of reading. And it's just really, really weird. That'd be like going from reading the Bernstein Bears book to going reading Homer's Odyssey. You know, that that's just sort of the shift in tone it felt like. And it really, really put me off of it. And um, so that so that whole part with Chandra, even the first section of Chandra was just it really took me out of the whole story and I just couldn't get over it. And even um, so even when they when the author went to Nissa and Liliana and Gideon and Jace, you know, they were all fine. But every time they went to Chandra, it, it was just bad. Um really really not a fan of this first person point of view and it just it felt like i don't know it it just felt like a like you're like it was trying to be a script for a you know sitcom or something not not really a sitcom but for some crappy you know cable tv show um not really impressed with it if i had to say if there was any kind of favorite moment from that little story it would probably be um I mean, the action did sound pretty cool, um, especially when they were fighting the sandworm. And then when the sandworm comes back to life, it just made you realize, oh, crap. So whatever dies just comes right back. So if it was living at first, you know, it turns into a zombie right away. Not even not even a um, any kind of, you know, momentary time of, you know, reprieve. None of that. And um, if I had to rate the whole impact story, I'd probably give it a, you know, if I would did a rating scale of 10, one being terrible and one 10 being, you know, best story I've, I've read. Um, I'd probably give it a four out of 10 to end with. I, like I said, I was not very impressed with it at all. And the, the changing of the, how it was written really put me out of the story. And did it, I, I get what the author was trying to, go for it it fell flat for me so the next story the magic story called the title trust which is the second story in Amonkhet right away and this is where I feel that magic stories fail on a major level especially for these weekly stories written they're all written by different authors which is not a bad thing if you know they can't hire a full-time writer or anything like that it's what makes it very off-putting to me is the whole writing style and the whole tone changes from story to story. So right away, when you start off with reading The Magic Story Trust, it's immediately in third person, which is not bad. But going from a whole first person chapter to a third person chapter and the whole writing tone and the writing quality is vastly different. It just makes it for like I said, very off-putting and it sort of takes you out of it and it, it, you almost, you don't feel that connection as much to the characters as well. So the second chapter, Trust, was written by James Wyatt 
And the story, just to give a brief description, is the group, you know, it starts off with the group going down to that barrier city. They open up the barrier, and as after they get through the barrier, um, an Avon named Eknet comes down and wants to basically know who they are and how did they open the barrier. They're worried, and Eknet is worried that they broke the barrier somehow. Um, Jace reads his mind and says, oh, they're from a district called Seth, and that's why they're dressed so differently from everybody else. And they want to, um, and Jace wants to see Temet, which is one of the viziers, as Jace reads the Avon's mind. Temet comes and starts immediately talking to Liliana and, you know, explains that Nicobolus, the horned one, is gone. The god They call him the god pharaoh. Uh, Temet starts to guide the gate watch throughout the city. They notice there's no shops, no artisans or anything like that. But it looks like everybody that's living uh, in, is preparing for combat. Uh, they mention that there's humans, avens, avens, which are sort of like bird people. There's minotaurs and then snake people like Naga. And... Temet explains that they're preparing for the trial of strength, which we don't know exactly what that is yet. And that as they're walking around, they see the one God Oketra that saved them from the first chapter. You know, it looks like uh, there's people surrounding her and worshiping her and they go up to meet her and Oketra places a finger on Gideon and knew his true name immediately, which is Kithian Aurora or something like that. Uh, Gideon has, you know, a little bit of a hard time trying to trust another god after what he went through on Theros with Heliod, you know, basically betraying him. And then Temet gives them a place to stay. And while Gideon and Chandra are overlooking the city, they see a woman running away from some minotaur screaming in the crowd saying, the trials are a lie, the gods lie, free yourselves. And Chandra wanted to help immediately, but Gideon stopped her. And so Temet explains the lady was apprehended by the viziers of Bantu and her crop were to undertake the trial of Bantu, but the lady proved herself unworthy. And so they, they try not to interfere because, you know, they don't want to interfere with the planes, you know, whatever they're trying to do here. Their, their main goal is to try to stop Nicobolas. And so at the end, when everybody's resting, Gideon sees Oketra outside her temple and, Oketra asks him, I guess in his mind, what he's looking for, and he responds with you. So it really seems that Gideon is really captivated by this god Oketra, and I can probably already guess that he's going to be betrayed somehow, and you know, by the gods. You know, they're just trying to pretend to be trustworthy. Uh, right away, the the tonal shift is vastly different from the first from from the first chapter. It was definitely better written than the first first chapter of it with it being third person it did feel i guess a little bit more mature in the sense of the writing tone um what did i like least about the story was it was a lot of exposition and nothing really happened in the story so it looks like it's starting to prepare us for what's happening what's going to happen in this whole little block of oh yeah there was one other thing i forgot to mention um so all the living were seen preparing for combat and no one was doing any kind of manual labor. That is because the undead, I guess they were quote unquote good zombies, were actually doing all the manual labor, like building buildings, um, setting up pyramids and stuff like that. 
um, which was a little bit of a shock for you know the gate watch because you know for them they're used to seeing zombies kill and attack people they're not used to seeing them under control in a sense so that that was a little bit interesting to see and i guess it sort of gives us an idea of what happens to these people who take the trial if they fail maybe they are killed and then become a quote-unquote good zombie i don't know uh we're definitely going to find out um so if I had to rate it on a scale of 1 to 10, I'd probably give this one more of a 6 out of 10. It was definitely definitely better written than the first one. And it was, like I say, it was mainly an exposition. It was sort of a story building, world building um, type chapter. And to give us more of an idea of what's going on in the plane. And yeah, so there you go. Um by the time this comes out, the third chapter is already going to be out. So I do plan on reviewing, like I said, I'm, I'm planning on reviewing every story for Amonkhet, but it may not be in every single podcast episode. So what I'll do is, you know, still write notes for every story and, you know, then maybe have another episode like this where I just talk about them all. And I do plan on reading the old stories as well. Uh, I'm in the middle of reading Dragonlance right now, and that is just a thousand times better than these magic stories. <laughs> so it's, um, yeah, it's, so it may be a while before I go back and read the books. I, I'm like halfway through all the Dragonlance books I want to read because I'm not going to read all 170. Gideon Jura here. This may not be the most glamorous job, but someone's got to do it. Copy that. On it. Sir, you can't park that vehicle here. It's in a non-parking zone. Yeah, and who are you? Write me a ticket for all I care, you meet a maid. <sighs> like I said, someone's got to do it. So that ends another episode of Magic Wazubi. Uh, if you have any questions, complaints, or anything, uh, be sure to send them my way at mtgzubi at gmail.com. And you can look me up on Twitter and Facebook, as I mentioned earlier, at Magic Wazubi and Facebook.com slash Magic And I just want to thank you all for listening.